All right, we're rolling live and hot. All right. Good evening. We are glad you are listening in on this podcast of Counterculture Men's Ministry. We are gathering. We are a gathering of Christian men with the purpose of recovering biblical manhood for the good of our families, churches, communities, for the glory of God. I'm Talon Franks, and as usual, I'm joined with brother Mike, by my, brother Mike Frazier, brother Clay Parker, brother Clint Wilson, and we're going to start this podcast by looking back over last year's meetings. And what we've learned are the marks of biblical man, masculinity and manhood. We've had a lot of good speakers, um, good time, a lot of iron sharpening iron. What are some things that stand out from you guys? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good year. I mean, we, we've, um, we've had a lot of, like you said, a lot of good messages. Uh, we've been reminded, I think, of things that probably most of us knew but have just had, um, you know, been emphasized kind of over and over again because our messages have kind of primarily been really narrowly focused and I'm not sure the time and I know it's been at least a year I think Um, and it's been so good for me I just look back and and it's like just the preparations for counterculture hearing the messages uh, we've learned that that biblical masculinity is uh, something that comes and flows out of God um, you know, I'm just, to hear the question and to think of it, I'm think, I think about, uh, you know, being a, pr- a protector, a leader, a provider, uh, just general stuff. I mean, that's elementary, but that's what God's called us to. Um, beginning in our, our families, we, we've had brothers that have brought messages, uh, you know, to be the prophet, priest, and king in our homes. We've talked about family worship and all these great ways in which we see real masculinity and, um you know, and we've been moving from the marriage, the family, you know, outside the family. Uh, and, and I've just, you know, I think it's been good. I think when you talk to the men, like at the meetings, um, I've just been encouraged uh, by the fact that, you know, guys, these things are sticking with guys. They're, it's reverberating with them, in them. They want to be godly men. Um, and, and that in itself, uh, I think, uh, not only affirms what we've been trying to do, but it, it just gives assurance that we should continue uh, to do what we do. What do you think, Clay? Yeah, I agree. Um, the biggest blessing for me personally is being able to stand side by side with men that before we started this, uh, I wasn't able to do um, and, and maybe didn't know very well at all. Like, like you, uh, we knew each other, but uh, we know each other on a different level now. Um, and, I, and I can call you or sit down and have a conversation with you. And, and that's important for men, especially in the world and the times that we're living in today, is to have brothers in Christ that you can trust and rely on um, that you know is going to come to you with biblical wisdom uh, and, and not a personal agenda, uh, but, but straight from the word of Christ and, 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 and give you um, their opinion based on a Christ-centered answer and uh, that fellowship among brothers. Uh, I guess the fellowship it really is, is the biggest aspect to me. we got so many churches that have come together in unity, um, which is, is, is so great to me. That's, that's kind of the biggest Amen. thing. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things looking back, just particularly at the meetings, is I can be isolated in my own local church context and only know the people in my church and um, and only know the pastors of my church and just kind of be very isolated. 
um, but being a part of counterculture, coming to the meetings, um, first just witnessing other men seeking to be faithful in their lives um, from all over the, the county, all over the area, uh, from different churches has been good. And then beyond that, getting to know some of these men over time as well has been a huge blessing. And then, uh, you know, later into it, started bringing my boys, my older boys, um, because I wanted them to see that as too. That it's not just daddy and the few people that you know from church that, that are men who want to serve the Lord, but that there are other men that they can look up to and see them an example uh, has been a big blessing for our family. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's so encouraging, especially with the topic we'll eventually get to tonight. But uh, knowing that there's other brothers that will stand shoulder to shoulder with you when things get tough or that will tell you the truth when you're making things tough, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, both those are very important to know you've got folks that will call you out, correct you, and folks that will encourage you when you are right and stand there next to you. Uh, what's been really neat to me is seeing how many times these traits and marks go from one sphere to the next and they carry over. Uh, that is super encouraging because it's like if you get these things right, then it's going to make you better in this sphere and it'll make you better in this sphere and that sphere. So ultimately, I'm not going to say it's not like a life improvement thing, but it is a spiritual improvement that, that as God makes you better at the true masculinity, it will in improve your family, your marriage, your your church. These things will improve through the men being more and more biblically masculine. Uh, would anybody like to mention anything on that? Make any statements? Yeah, on? I, I like the way you, I like the way you you said that, and you moved into that question. Um, you know, it's something, and it can be sinful and prideful, but there's something about manhood, like being a man, um, and, and we've encountered it probably in plenty of, of, of those sinful kind of things. You know, when somebody presses you or pushes you, uh, man, there's something that flares up in you. Uh, you know, that, uh, again, we can relate to, you know, and we've got to bring that under control of the spirit. But when you put manhood in the proper context with the Lord and, and when the picture starts to come to you in your everyday life, just like we've talked about with our men leading uh, their families in, in family worship, the most courageous thing I can think of, I, you know, and I'll probably say it every probably, is, is a man calling his family together to gather around the word and to pray. Um, that's a man. And, and when you start looking at all these different ways and you see it in terms of manhood, and, you're, and we've made ourselves like accountable to this idea. It's like I find myself in these situations. Well, okay, what you going to do? Are you a man? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? It's like a test of our manhood. And I think we should really see those things like that. I mean, when I need to come along by my wife and talk with her and have a difficult conversation with her, man, I need God in my face poking me in the chest mm -hmm. saying, boy, be a man. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I know that may sound crazy to some people. That's just the way I work. Uh, but man, that has helped me. That has helped me, um, you, you know, and, and like you said, in every sphere with my family, with my kids, I'm trying, man, I'm far from perfect. We always want to you know, we're just trying. We're just a bunch of guys trying. Please don't anybody ever think that we just are here talking because we've got it all figured out. But but we're we're progressing. We're trying, and and we're seeing around us a lot of guys that are trying as well. So yeah, I, I like the way you led into that. Um, you you guys, I'm sure, can add to that for sure. Yeah, I think it's a it's an issue because it's an issue of character. Yes, mm. having a consistent Christian character that's formed by the Spirit and the Word of God, um, that then flows over into these these areas. And, and I think where you get into some issues within the church and with the culture is that uh, 
people have sort of degendered Christian character, where there's just one mm-hmm. Christian character, and there's not a distinctly masculine Christian character and a feminine Christian character. But the Bible speaks in those terms. It, it tells you to, to yeah. be a man, yeah. right? Yeah. And so there, there yeah. are there's a, a masculine piety, like that the, the Bible calls us to, and this ministry and others shining a spotlight on that. I think is super helpful. It's been helpful for me. I know it'll be helpful for others to say like there is a Christian virtue and character that is distinctly masculine. Yes. Yeah. And it's worthy of pursuing. And when you pursue it, everything around you flourishes. Your marriage, your family, your church, the culture around us yeah. flourishes. Yes. And yes. part of that character is the taking of responsibility yes. of the things yeah. that we are told to do in scripture. And when you take responsibility in one thing, it's amazing how much easier it is to take responsibility in other things. And and Coming working with youth for many years, uh, I've learned that that's something that's one of the key things that's missing in today's culture is taking response. Everybody's a victim. Nobody takes responsibility for things. And it's easy, even as as Talon Franks, to be a victim of certain situations to. to, And and it's so weak. And I try to (laughs) kill it, but it's there always. And we we can't let ourselves fall into that. And taking responsibility, taking pride in that responsibility, not looking at it as a burden, but as a as something that we are can uh, uh, look forward to doing, is uh, it has been great. It's been really good. I've been challenged so many times, almost to the point that I get a little nervous sometimes when I show up to the counterculture because I'm like, what am I going to be convicted of tonight and have to change? <laughs> you know, which is a great thing. Yeah. Uh, so in marriage, family, church, all those things should be improved by being biblical men. Tonight, we're going to get into how would our communities, the world, how, how do we bridge that gap between the church and the world or our little family and the world? Because we are called to be Christ-like in all spheres, and the world is where we are existing. So we have to do our best to take that masculinity into the world and... Uh, how, how do we seek to do that? Well, well I think you, you said something a minute ago. It, it was It's in my notes. It, it may be, it's, it fits right in there with the, the marks we were talking about is taking okay. accountability. Mm-hmm. Real men, biblical men, don't shrink back from responsibility. Um, it's, you know, and in that context, then we've got to know, okay, what, what are we, we responsible for? Um, and, and, and like you said, we've started, and it's, it's almost easy to see our responsibility when it comes to our, our marriage, our family, and even in our churches. But when we step beyond there, I think that's where we get into a gray area, is I think a lot of men, and, and myself included to some extent, are trapped in this thing of thinking they have no responsibility outside of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think the Bible teaches that. I don't mm-hmm. think the Bible teaches that at all. And that, you know, that's kind of transition to where we're moving now is understanding what our responsibility is as men of God in a fallen world. Um, and, and, and now, I mean, I just feel like we've opened the door now to where our conversation needs to go. What, what is our responsibility, uh, Clay? What, what, what do you think when I say that? We have responsibility, I know, in God's creation yeah so what what is that to me especially as men as as pastors for for one um or or not only pastors so i don't want you to think if you're listening to this tonight you'd be like well he's talking about pastors now so this don't don't apply to me you're wrong um as men who profess christ and 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 do it 
um, in, a, in an obedient way. Uh, so you have to live it, right? That's, that's the biggest thing. That's what we're working towards. That's what we're talking about. So what's that look like in the culture, which is where we're going to? Um, yeah, we, can, we need to be these men at home. Absolutely, we must. We have to. Um, and we have to be a biblical husband. We have to be uh, a biblical father. We have to be a biblical leader in our churches. But when we step outside into a fallen world where culture is telling the world one thing, um, what are we going to look like in, in that? And, and how are we going to react when things happen? That's, I think that's the biggest thing. And I'm going to reference Job a couple of times right now tonight because I'm studying it right now in our uh, young adults Bible study. But you see what happens in Job's life and how he is just beaten down and, and allowed to be beaten down by the devil from God. And he gets to a point right at, towards the end where he's just like, almost woe is me. And then you see God. I think a lot of times we miss how God approaches Job. If you haven't read Job lately, go read about the last eight or nine chapters of Job and listen to God address Job. <laughs> what, what's he say? He says, gird yourself up or prepare yourself like a man because I'm yeah. about to talk to you. Yeah. Stop crying, boy. Listen. Yeah, Job shut his mouth. Yeah, that's right. Where, where were you? That, where I, were you? Where were you? <laughs> where were you? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I think God, that interaction with God and Job it's not just about Job, it's about me or you, and, and say, listen, man, uh, things are going to get tough, but you're a, act like a man. Yeah. Act like a man. Prepare yourself and listen to what i got to tell you. Um, you you're, not, you're not worthy to sit there and wallow in, in this. Act like a man. Present yourself a certain way. Um, if you say you're this man, let's, let's see it. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. that kind of goes into, so I look at it from the great commandment to, to love our what love Lord our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, Job got into maybe loving himself a little too much there towards the end, focused on himself, and we fight that every day. But every day. but true every love day. is self-sacrificial, yeah. and and that is the battle we're having to fight every day uh, to actually truly love people. Uh, I've I've talked about this many times, maybe not on the podcast, but the perversion of love in today's culture and the fact that you're talking about masculinity and how important love is seems uh to counteractive like it it seems to have tension there but in reality love for your neighbor is where all the masculine qualities can be used we we mentioned protection love for my neighbor lets the people who know me know that if i'm there and something's going to happen to them, I'm going to do everything I can to protect them. My family is the same way, my church family, my brothers. Uh, that is true love for my neighbor. Love is the reason that uh, I know I can count on y'all to address something if you think I'm out of line or you see me sinning. I know you love me. So the idea that love is just let everybody do whatever they want to do, and I'll just stay in my church, stay in my family, and I'll just love them but not love the world uh, I don't know if we want to get on this right now, but you mentioned that he gets us uh, commercial <laughs> dur- during the Super Bowl. I know we mentioned possibly getting on this. I, I feel like it needs to be addressed. Uh, that is a perversion of love. The idea that Jesus gets us and leaves us in our sin, but he understands it's okay. That's not real love. That's what the world wants to call love. And it's easy to, be a, to not be a man and allow people to stay in that situation, to not call sin sin because it's it's hard i don't know if y'all have done it lately i know y'all have because y'all are men but 
telling someone they're in sin is not an easy thing. I don't do it as well as Ray Comfort does. But uh, <laughs> I don't always let them figure it out on their own through my questions. But it, it is uh, manhood. That is biblical manhood. And do y'all have any statement on that before we move on? I know I was kind of chasing a rabbit there, but I think I brought it back a little bit. So I think putting together the issue of love mm-hmm. and the he gets us thing, the problem is um, – we're using a worldly definition of love, as you said, and and, yep. and God, who is love, mm. defines what love is, and that's something that you know we've been working on a lot in the on the campus of VSU. Is you had this whole movement of love is love, right? So love is love. It's it's not it's not love is love. God is love. It's not love is God. It's God is love. God defines love, and so if we want to know what love is, we have to understand it um, as God has said that it is, right? And so the the great commandments that you talked about is an example of that. Jesus says, "If you love me." keep my commandments mm. right and jesus loves loves present tense sinners right and and i think i, I i've said before the problem of this this ad is it's, it's half right it's half true mm-hmm. and if you only have half the truth you don't have any of the truth okay. right and yep. so it's half true and then it says that jesus loves sinners but the the misunderstanding is that the love of christ transforms sinners right he, he washes the, se- the feet of his disciples but but unless you're washed by him and mm-hmm. made cleansed, you have no part in him. And so, so there, there's the missing element of the love of Christ makes clean, makes holy. Um, and so there should be a desire to then love God, mm-hmm. right? So, so the love of God does not leave you in a state of continued rebellion against God, but it leads you to a state of loving God. He loved us first, so we love him in yep. return. Um, I think that's, what, that's a big thing that is missing there. I mean, that kind of brings me back around full circle to the original question you asked about um, our, our duty or what's required of us in the world. Yeah. And I, in my mind, immediately went to the old catechism, you know, the, the first question to Westminster, yeah. second ca- question to the Baptist catechism of what is the chief end of man? Yeah. You know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That, that's, that is your end. And whatever you set your hand to do, you do it to the glory of God, seeking to squeeze all the joy out of it for his glory that you can get. Yes, um, and, and that when we do that, you, that you begin to see everything through that lens. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. We, um, I, I saw something on the internet the other day, and it 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 made me aware of a book that I've never read that I really want to read. It's by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Abolition of Man, mm-hmm. and um, he he makes this statement in the book. He says we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. And, and I read that, and I was like, wow, man. And this is, you know, obviously C.S. Lewis has been a while ago since he wrote this, but what uh, discernment to see, even in his culture at that time, the need for manhood. I mean, when we look, that's even more true today. I mean, we laugh at honor. We laugh at what a real man is. We've abolished manhood, but yet people are looking around like, why is everything falling apart? And, and what, what that says to me is when we think about cultural engagement, we think about taking responsibility, we think about this is God's world, is that, man, we, we need to be calling men to be men in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just, and, and this is where a lot of people will, will stumble, not just in evangelism. You know, th- th- I remember reading a book years ago. It was called uh, Nancy Piercy, who was a disciple of uh, Francis Schaeffer, 
she wrote a book called Total Truth, and all truth is God's truth. And Francis Schaeffer was a guy that his ministry was uh, came through the lens of a cultural mandate. And he, he was carrying out the cultural mandate. And I remember when I first read that book, I was kind of a young Christian at the time, and it got, man, it got me. I was always like, because I had always seen the Christian life simply, the Christian mission, merely through the means of evangelism, you know. And, and, and when I say that even, I know somebody's saying, oh, what do you mean merely through the, you know, the, you know I'm not saying that's not uh, at the heart and the very core of the Christian mission. Uh, but, you know, Jesus said that, that we're to be salt and light in culture. I mean, we're to be salt. We're to have a preservative effect. We're to have a moral effect on culture. Um, you know, and, and this not divorced from evangelism. It's married to it. It's, you know, it's necessary. The church has quit calling sin, sin. I was encouraged with the, uh, I was out of the country when the, sound like Jay now, I'll throw that in there, like, yeah, I get out of the country too. You and Jay, yeah, out of the yeah, country. I was out of the country when the Super Bowl happened, and, but I came back and I saw all this stuff about that ad, you know. I was encouraged by the fact that most of the responses to the ad were just, man, I didn't see many even coming to the defense of the he gets us yeah. stuff. It was people shouting truth, the truth of the gospel, the two sides, you know, not just half truth, right. but whole truth. And uh, so I think what we need to start thinking about as Christian men, you know, this is God's world. That's right. You know, I just recently did a study in Genesis. This is God's earth. I was in Ecuador, and we stood out in the middle of the street around 11 o'clock at night, and we were in a circle praying, and all these pe- I mean, talk about out of the element. I don't go to Valdosta after dark, but here I am at Saturday night at 11 o'clock out in the midst of just, I mean, I can't tell you how busy everybody's in town. Well, you know, and we're praying in this circle, a bunch of gringos, and I remember thinking to myself, man, this is like God letting, nailing a stake down in the street saying, this is mine. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we think about, you know, the different things we want to go into as far as cultural engagement, you know, calling sin, sin, being John the Baptist, being prophetic, condemning abortion, uh, condemning homosexuality, not being cowardly about it, not being unloving about it. We do it in love because we love, but the kind of love we've been talking about, God's love, manly love, masculine love, tough love. Um, you, you know, so political engagement. I mean, all these different ways that, that, and it takes courage, it takes sacrifice, but that's what men do. We need men. C.S. Lewis was right, man. This ain't working good. This gender... Uh, uh, evacuation all you know all of this stuff is just foolishness man we need men if our country today was to get caught up in a something like you know a hitler come to the world man i don't think we're equipped whatsoever to have the kind of inner integrity and sacrificial devotion to anything to survive that we're a we're a world full of sissies and we need not the kind of men that are just in your face, I'm stronger than you bullies, but we need the kind of guys that walk in the love of Christ, with the humility of Christ, but with the strength of Christ and the conviction of Christ. And, you know, and now we, we talk about the ways that we can do that, the healthy, biblical ways that we reclaim uh, what sin stole uh, from God's created order. I'm just going to say we need a soundboard with an organ on it because I was about to mash yeah, that thing know, like four right, or five yeah. times in there. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, you're right, 100%. I think one thing that, that you kind of went through, that C.S. Lewis <coughs> quote, and the thing, the necessity of strong, courageous men who um, 
we did, we need, we're demanding the function, but we've stripped the ability to perform the, the function of the man. And, and I think that is, is because men have to learn, and sometimes a man who's learning to be courageous uh, breaks things. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's like it's like a training a bulldog. That's right. You know, you got to train him. You, you want him to catch, but as you're teaching him how to know what is the right target, you catch that, not my chickens. Sometimes he's going to catch your chickens, yeah. and you have to be patient with him and be mature and correct him. Say, hey, I appreciate your aggressiveness. I appreciate your desire to fight, but let's not catch the chickens. These are these are good. <laughs> Catch that. Right. Sick him. Like, right. and, and we haven't done that to men. We've said, don't catch anything because that's, that's mean. Um, and so they, they, they've listened to us. And they stopped showing up. Um, and so rather than that, maybe we should say, okay, here's the enemy. Let's get fit and, and go catch him. Right? Sick him. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, God. So listen, uh, segue. I had uh, some names, some biblical men that I've studied recently and that fit right into this category. Right? That's what we, that's what we use the Bible for. We're sitting here, we're talking about us as men, and we're looking at pastors. Look, the Bible's full of men that we can go look at, Christ being the man, right? But the full man. of men. I got David wrote down, yeah. right? Prime example yeah. of what you just said, right? That's Prime right. example, 100%. right? Yeah. When he was God, young. Exactly. God used, well, yeah. period, period, right? So God, God sovereignly chose David to be his man for a specific time, Champion. for a specific yeah. place, for a specific purpose. Did David screw up? Absolutely. Are we going to screw up? Absolutely. But what happened in David's life every time when he screwed up? That's why he was a man after David. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. He always came back. Read First and Second Samuel. Look at the way he handled his family. A lot of times he screwed up royally. Look at Absalom, the way he failed in Absalom's life. And, and he, he had direct results from that, right? Absalom was trying to kill him. And he had to flee from him. But he knew that. He, he was repentant even of that, even of his failures as a father. And, and we can use these examples. And God raises up men like Luther. We were talking about Luther the other day. And how really Luther was kind of a crazy dude, you know, really. If you really <laughs> look, read Luther oh, yeah. and, and, and listen to him. But, but even Luther, look at God rose up a man because of a pit bull. Like, like you said, right. pit bull's crazy if you don't, if you don't control him. And, you know, and, and, he don't, and you don't, and he don't serve his purpose, <laughs> right? He'll kill everything. Yeah. yeah. But if you get a man like Luther or a man like David, and God sovereignly chooses them for a specific purpose, right. look at what they can accomplish yeah. because of God. Yeah. We were reading Matthew twenty-three in family worship last night, and it was you know the woe, you know the woe to the scribes and Pharisees, and, and particularly the one where he calls out you know them for they would have stolen the prophets, you know, like yeah. their fathers did. Yeah. Like, and so it's that there's a bit of that. Is it's the the instinct to call out sin, to fight, to defend the glory of God, to vindicate the glory of God, um, is is always sought to be stifled by by sinners, by the by the flesh, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised that that just makes a new manifestation in every right. generation. Yeah, I think I think that that um, what you guys are saying kind of it d- describes for us what we're facing, uh, what we want to do. We got like two challenges. We we're changing trends because we want fathers th- that are now becoming young fathers. We want them to be better fathers than their fathers were. Y- you know, no no criticism intended, but you got to break trends. I mean, certainly when you look at the world, we've got I mean just the absence of fathers, no father figure whatsoever. Right. And we know all the statistics. We know what that leads to. It doesn't lead to good things. 
So we got to break trends, but at the same time, man, I'm so encouraged to see all the young guys at the last meeting. It really got because we're showing them from their earliest days, we can show them what it looks like to be a man, even a man who makes mistakes, because we have opportunities to say to our sons, I was wrong. I'm sorry. You know, um, and man, they learn manhood from that because, man, it's a mark of manhood to confess when you're wrong. Um, you know, and that we need grace from the Lord. So we got these two. It's so encouraging. And, and matter of fact, I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there now, but I've been thinking we want to encourage young boys to come to our meetings. Man, we need to take some of that, whatever we take up, and just get something to inspire them want to be there. If we give them a little book or whatever, Amen. something we can get. I just love the picture of the boys coming. And to grow up, even if they're not hearing exactly everything, man, those boys are old enough and smart enough to hear a lot of things, and they're seeing something that That's is right. valuable, man. They're seeing a bunch of men come together, Amen. seeking the Lord, and wanting to serve Him. And man, that's going to leave a mark on them. Yeah. So, man, let's be faithful to keep meeting, keep bringing our young boys, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just make that a uh, make that a uh, you know make that a part of a part of our our uh, you know ministry for sure. Yeah, Clint. He posted that on the Counterculture Facebook page uh, with his sons and some other young boys. And I, I, honestly, uh, I, I never really considered that until then. Uh, yeah. But, hey, look, even if they're sitting there coloring and having a good time, exactly what you just said, uh, yeah. they're looking at, at other men fellowshipping together and and, and, and glor wanting to glorify God in everything that they do. And you may not think that they might not catch but one minute of it. Uh, but if you're listening to this, we are encouraging you yeah. and begging you to bring your young boys. Yeah. Don't leave them at home and say, well, they're going to just be a disruption. Listen, bring them. Yeah. Bring them. Yeah, my, the two that I bring are nine and seven. Uh, the the four-year-old is begging, and I'm, I'm having, you know, rock, paper, scissors with his mom and whether or not he's coming to the next <laughs> one. I actually, actually promised him he can come to the next one because he's, he's going to have a birthday before then. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, they're not, I'm not leaving the house to go to counterculture without those older two. I'd have to lie yeah. to him, tell him where I was going. <laughs> yep. um, and, and so and, and so two things. What you can do to bring them, uh, more fried fish. The, the, the fish fry <laughs> was legendary. They ate so much fried fish. Um, and, but the, the main thing, like what are, even if they're not picking up everything in the sermon, they are picking up on the culture. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And that has power to shape their hearts, even when they don't understand the didactic teaching from the, from the, you know, whoever's preaching at that night, but, but they do pick stuff away. I asked, I asked my son, uh, Mike, after your last sermon, I was like, what what'd you think of the sermon? This is the first time hearing you preach. He says, I liked how he told us to be a man, and he, and he said sissy. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard a preacher say sissy before, have you? <laughs> yeah, Ace, I can't remember. I said some word that night that uh, I almost felt like I had to defend myself in saying it. I don't even remember what it was now, but there was some word that I mentioned that night. It wasn't sissy. I know what it oh, was. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> it, yeah, I looked it up in the – it was pussyfoot. Yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, and I looked it up in the Cambridge Dictionary, and it's a good, clear yeah. term. It's nothing – you know, it's not – that's uh, – right. it, was, it was well used yeah, in it, the moment. Yep, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I have yeah. homeschool yeah. children. It is pusillanimous. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the word used. Is that the Latin or yeah. – yeah, I mean, that's English. It that's means, how you it get means cowardly. by a homeschool kid. It means cowardly, <laughs> and it's a I lot cleaner. Yeah, I love it. I love it.
I can remember looking back on my younger days, man, just being able to stand in a circle of men. Most of the time in my days, they were talking about hunting or fishing. But you just stand there and you watch these men talking about these things and you just aspire. You're like, man, one day I'll be able to be like these guys. And for these young boys to be able to stand there and hear the theological discussions and see the passion that we discuss these things with and the challenges and and also how much we do love each other. Ultimately, they're seeing this. It does make an effect whether they are getting the theological parts or not uh you'd be surprised what the kids pick up from that kind of thing yeah that, but, that's uh, a great point because that's just a reality i mean that's almost like a universal thing young boys their fathers i mean mm-hmm. and that's that's a you got a short time frame of that and man you know we can waste that yep no we doubt. can waste that or even ruin that yeah. and lead them down a, 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 a wrong path when we have that. Man, what a great thing. I'm just exalting the Lord in my mind and heart as mm-hmm. I hear that because we don't want to waste that. We redeem that mm-hmm. to the glory of God. Well, I guess the raising of young boys, bringing about disciples, you know, making disciples is the number one way outside of evangelism that we're going to counter the culture that we're going to make an impact on the culture outside of our families our church is sending these young men out uh building businesses building structures building these things that make the world a better place because ultimately we know that god is good god's god's law is good being a biblical man in culture is going to have nothing but a positive effect on even the unbelievers that are around us and that should be our desires to to build you know coming from an entrepreneur i try to do my my business to glorify God. Uh, I kill mosquitoes to the glory of God, and people really appreciate it. it was, <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah. So. Amen. You know, I think about uh, you mentioning that. I mean, like worth it, work ethic. That was something that came out of the Reformation. It came out of, you know, a lot of historians would say Calvinism, Protestantism, a Christian work ethic. And that's another area I think about when we look out in the world around us. It's just, I mean, nobody works. Yeah. Everybody's lazy sluggards, man. Nobody, I mean, it's, I say nobody, and, and obviously it's not that absolute. But by and large, when you look around, even since I was a boy, I grew up, and this is one of the things that I'm thankful for in my childhood, that to work hard was a, like, a good thing. I mean, you wanted to be the hardest worker. You want to be the best worker. It was like you would compete. Mm-hmm. You know, you would compete to be the best worker, you, you know. Uh, and now... I mean, come on, man. Comfort. Uh, comfort. Uh, yeah, you know, everything's entitlement, silver spoon. Nobody cares about working. They just about collecting a check. I mean, our country's falling to pieces around this. So, I mean, it's going to be Christian men that we pass on to because, like you said, we do all things to the glory of God. And we can take back, uh, you know, and redeem would probably be a better word, but to redeem uh, even um, just productivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, in our land, because, I mean, everything's falling to pieces. And men take responsibility for that. We've got to take responsibility. I'm amazed when, when I think about Paul when he talks about to the, uh, he says to Greeks and, and barbarians, I'm a debtor. He yep. saw himself to be indebted to other people. And I see that to be rooted in the, the cultural mandate. Well, why would Paul owe anybody anything? Well, he, he owed God first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, and he owed God a stewardship. God gave us this whole world as a stewardship. He gave it to Adam. Adam failed, but it didn't, re- you know, it doesn't, it doesn't remove the fact that that men, particularly godly men, have a stewardship over God's earth. Um, you know, and we see all these broken things. And we've got. To, I think about Jay. Man, Jay's hard for foster care. 
Jay's heart for these little kids. And I think real manhood sees distress, mm -hmm. sees hurt. And you see it in Jay. Jay takes responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. yep. And we all should. Right. We all should. Manhood doesn't say, well, that's not mine. I take care of my own. Well, ultimately, we understand God's mandate to the earth. It's all our own under the stewardship of God. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's, we got lots of expansion uh, talk to do. I'm looking forward to yeah. your message because I think you're going to take us there. Mm -hmm. uh, any sneak peeks you want to drop for us? Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, I can do that. Uh, so I think that the key thing, and it, I guess it's related to the, the work ethic thing, because if you if you just kind of roll that around a little bit, why is the Protestant work ethic, work ethic a thing? What it tells you is there's something about a the view of the sovereignty of God that came out of the Protestant Reformation that affects how you live your life every moment. It, it's you know it's the principle of coram Deo, living before the face of God, yeah. that every bit. And so I think the decline of the work ethic in our culture coincides to uh, the decline of a high view of the sovereignty of God and, and, a, and, and a, any belief in a coming judgment and a God at all because the, the predominant worldview of the nominal Christian and or unbeliever in our culture today, especially among young people, is a, is a nihilism, nihilism, where nothing matters. So if you only live once, it's your duty to get through life with the least amount of pain as possible because you're just going to die and disappear, right? Eat, but drink, and be merry. That's right, yeah. right. But if you're, if you're laboring towards a, re a resurrection of all things, um, under the watching eye of a God who gives blessings, you know, um, rewards faithfulness, um, that changes how you live. And, and you know that, that even though I die, I will live again. And the fruit of my labor, I love that's how Paul ends 1 Corinthians 15. He, he talks about the resurre resurrection, and then he says, Know, therefore, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's right. yeah. So whatever you if, you, if you're a man and you're busting, you're behind, and you're getting in the door just toasted, and you lay everything that you have before the Lord, and you just stumble in the bed and you sleep, um, and you're truly laboring before the face of God, God is pleased with that labor. It's not in vain. Right. Like it will produce fruit of blessing under His blessing, um, and so um, that that eff effort, that hard work, is important. But you got to have God at the foundation of it, and then that's you know I, I guess the, the message in, in March will be rooted in that cultural mandate to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it um, as His image bearers, um, because then that goes back to the glorify God and enjoy Him forever. As our duty in whatever we do, we're glorifying God in the works of our hands. That's right. Yeah. I think there's a direct connection there with the, you know, with the Great Commission. When Christ gives the Great Commission, He says that all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, yeah, it's be it's an authority that's beyond just the church. I mean, it's expansive. I mean, when you look at Mark, I mean Matthew 16, where Jesus gives the keys and he and he you know, the to the kingdom, to the church. And, and he basically says something, and I, I won't do the exegesis, but the Greek is really cool there, and it's like he's saying to make the earth like heaven. And some translations actually get that backwards. But like Jesus taught us to pray, right. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So yeah. it's like we're restoring the order to God's creation. And that's the, he gives the keys to that. Now, certainly at the core of that is, is seeing men redeemed and the gospel being proclaimed. But the evidence of regenerate man is all these things we're talking about. It, you know, it's work ethic. It's doing all things for the glory of God. That's what comes out of when men get born again. That's what they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So these things are married together. Yeah. Um, and it's exciting. Like you say, I anticipate, uh, I anticipate um, revival, man. Um, you know, the time God's setting the table for revival. Uh, he start out small, but he's, he's about to do some good stuff. Uh, well, listen, so we keep talking about work, work ethic and as a man, and, and we think about it as work, like I go to work in the mornings and have a job to, to, to support my family. And, and it's not only that. It's, it's, it's our spiritual work that we do to glorify God. But uh, two places in Scripture that are, that are big that reference work. Uh, what, what were we created for? What was Adam put oh, on yeah, this earth yeah. for? Our God is so sovereign that he created a, a, a world and an earth and plants and trees and a garden that was fully furnished and fully mature. And he created Adam for a specific purpose to do that work, to glorify God. And, and Adam was happy in his work before the fall, right? Yeah. Because he was honoring the God that created him before the fall. And, and another place in, in, in reference in Scripture, Paul references this in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. He talks about as they're going through and they're evangelizing, he talks about, he, he addresses work, right? He says, we basically, uh, paraphrasing that we work, we earn our own keep. And what, is, what does he say in there? If you don't work, what does he say? Yeah. You don't eat. Yeah. You don't eat. So, yeah, I mean, we're created to work, guys, and, and not only go to work nine to five and be tired, but the works just began, as Paul Washer says. Yeah. Uh, I, listen to, uh, I listen to a sermon by Paul Washer, and you probably heard it too. You pull up in the driveway, and you're a man, and you're tired, and you're beat down from work. Get it together, men. Your works just began. Yeah. Go inside, drop all that in the car, put a smile on your face because you got a wife and your daughter that don't care about work. Go and love them. And, and be the husband and the father that you're called to be and don't take your work out on them because that's your job. Your work's just began when you get home. That's right. Hey, I could be pulling the organ on y'all too now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> come on, yeah come that, that's a good word. A lot of people think that, that work is like a consequence of the fall, but that they that's a complete misunderstanding. That's right. That's right. Amen. Work, was, that's right. work was given uh, in the good. Yeah, yeah, work yeah. was cursed because of the fall. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but God's overcoming that when he redeems us. Man, he's putting us back on track to understand what work really is, and it is an opportunity uh, to bring him glory. Yeah, I was actually listening to David Bonson this morning to talk about his new book. And it's on work. It's on. It's called full time. I think it's called. I haven't read it yet, but uh, he was talking about it. And he he pointed to this very issue. And he talked about we always start in the wrong place with with work. It's to provide. It's to yep. do all these things. But he said you start with God is a worker. Hmm. God is the one who worked first yeah. in creation. Yep. He worked six days and rest, and then he made us in his image. And so there's to be human is to be a worker because you're in the image of God. Um, and, and that's that's paradigm shifting because he, cr like you said, he created Adam, right. gave him this beautiful garden. It says now cultivate it, that's right. name this. Yeah. That's something cool that struck me this fall at a conference we were at. Is I never thought about the reality. You know, obviously we know that Adam named all the animals, it's like every kid song, right? But that man was given the authority to to name the animals, and that's what they are named. Like God gave that over to him. This is your work. All these animals I made, I'm giving you this authority. Call it what you want it, you know, and that we now, we do that, 
You know, when we discover a new star, what do we do? We name it, right? We, we f- try to figure out a way to get there, and how can we use it mm-hmm. to cultivate it? Like, it's in our DNA. It's in our nature as humans to work. Yep. Um, and so, uh, but, but we need the gospel, you know, that's why we said we don't strip these things from the gospel, but we need the gospel to overcome our sinfulness and our laziness and our desire to, to use the work for our own good and not the glory of God. I think it's been great, guys. Uh, the next meeting is, what, March 28th? March 28th at 6 o'clock that Thursday. Uh, it, make sure to work before then or we won't let you eat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, make, sure, make sure to bring your, uh, bring your sons, bring your nephews, your Amen. grandsons. Uh, bring them all. It's a good time. It's, it's, it's a challenging time. We look forward to it. Look forward to hearing the rest of, from Brother Clint. And uh, thank you all for listening.